Welcome to the XR for Business podcast with your host, Alan Smithson. Today, I've got an amazing guest, TJ Vitillo. He is the director and head of XR technology development at Verizon. Today, he leads the commercial strategy and product execution behind Verizon's VR, AR, and 360 organization environment. Recently, TJ and his team launched AR Designer, the world's first streaming-based AR toolkit that allows brands and developers to quickly and easily create augmented reality experiences with no technical expertise. You can visit verizon.com or environment, that's E-N-V-R-M-N-T.com. I want to welcome TJ to the show. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me, Alan. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. I'm so excited to have you on the show. This is like all the things you guys are doing from working with the accessibility team at Cornell Tech to your acquisition of Riot to working with the Sacramento Kings, Yahoo News. There's so much going on at Verizon. Do you want to just give us like a high level summary of what you do and what the plan is at Verizon for introducing 5G and XR? It's quite dynamic here. As you know, the VR space is ever evolving. Teams that do uh, a number of things within VR here, but specifically, you mentioned Riot. Between our team and Riot, um, we manage both sort of the content and creative end of XR, and that's Riot. And our team manages the technical technology side of, of virtual reality. So really, my team is focused on building tools, enablers, systems, platforms on the 5G network, sort of the underlying side of XR to help accelerate and grow the adoption of the technology. On the other side, Riot's all about the product and the creative storytelling around VR, which really brings these things to life for people. So you've got both the technical side and then the creative. And this is something that I've been harping on with customers as well. And just the, the industry at large, that this industry is no longer about just making products. And you look at the VC investments and they're investing in platforms and products, but you still need people to create the content. And I think you guys have found that balance with Riot. What do you see as kind of the future of how we create this content? Is it going to be user-generated versus studio content or a mixture of both? I think it's going to be a mixture of both. User-generated is quite difficult today. One of the products you mentioned we launched was AR Designer, and really the foundation for that was to put the power of augmented reality and virtual reality into the hands of even the most user of uh, technologies. We built this platform initially with the mindset that school teachers, uh, and not by any means are they simpletons, but the fact of the matter is they're, they're teaching to students, young children, and they've got to have a very effective way to, to do that, efficient way to do that. And so when we were building this tool, we baselined on children as the audience, and school teachers as the user of the tool to produce something that's really effective. So I think you're going to see as VR, AR uh, becomes more ubiquitous, access is going to be much greater more in the hands of, of users. At the end of the day, there's always going to be the community outside of the, the content or the UGC community producing content. And I think those are the folks who are uh, going to synthesize the, the really compelling, uh, palatable stories to users to grow that adoption. So I think you've seen a lot with UGC where it sort of leads the way to broader, more institutional creation of content. Uh, but I think you'll very much see a, a blend in the future. So walk me through your platform that you guys have built. Is it in the in the market already or walk us through that? It was in the market. So we pulled back on that platform specifically because uh, we had changed the, uh, the strategy of our team. Initially, I was brought into the organization to run commercialization for Environment, which is Verizon's XR organization. 
And we wanted to generate uh, revenue off of uh, the XR ecosystem. And uh, there's a fair amount of money out there to be made. Uh, but the net of, at, at the end of the day is when we started to launch our commercial products, uh, we started to build up and prepare for our 5G launch strategy. And the ask of my engineering team was to go down a few different levels uh, in the technology stack and start building platform enablers into the 5G network that will drive the adoption, acceleration, growth of ARVR. So uh, the tool we still actually use today, we've got over 10,000 users internally in Verizon that use it across our training organizations, our HR organizations, our network operations organizations. So it's been very successful. Um, there is still a plan to commercialize that in the future. Um, but the idea was that we wanted to pin it against our 5G launch to show uh, what 5G can do for the XR space. And that's where I'm super excited is about what 5G specifically does for, for XR uh, technology moving forward. Absolutely. One of the, the videos that I watched of you was a retail demo where you took a phone, just a regular phone with 5G, and you pointed at some products on a shelf. And it not only recognized one product and gave you like that standard AR image recognition and show some overlay information, but it recognized all the products at once. And I thought that was really a, a great way of uh, showing how 5G will enable so much more than just simple AR that we're used to now using our phones. And then uh, as that moves to glasses, you'll be able to walk down and say, I'm on a keto diet and walk down the aisles and anything that's keto will show up in green. I think that's where it's going. And that demo was really incredible. Thank you. Yeah, I think, I think AR from a mobile standpoint has you know, been put in this, this chokehold because of 4G. And that's one of the examples of what 5G is going to do to AR. It's going to make it highly functional, highly useful, and a lot more entertaining in, in that space. Computer vision, graphics rendering. Uh, those are the two sort of fundamental underlying technologies between virtual reality and augmented reality. And what we did there is that we expanded the capability of computer vision by offloading uh, what typically is done on a mobile device over the 5G network, so extreme amount of bandwidth, uh, extremely low latency, to a uh, network node that sits within our network that is very high powered from a processing standpoint that allows us to offload all of that computer vision uh, information and provide a response back in real time. This is something only possible over 5G and only possible with our net edge network. Fundamentally, what this does is bans the current limitations of augmented reality and blows them out of the water. Well, you're taking all the compute power off the device and putting it into the edge. And I mean, you've been recognized at the Edge Awards already, winning best contribution to edge computing for R&D and then greatest commercial potential for edge concept. So, I mean, you guys are clearly leading the way for this. One of the things I saw last week in Wired was uh, a startup building a new chip. It's, a, it's a, a, an artificial intelligence chip, and it's the size of an iPad. Rather than everybody's trying to make them smaller and smaller, these guys went the opposite way and made a huge chip, and it can do trillions and trillions of, of calculations. But obviously, you can't put a chip the size of an iPad in your phone, but having them uh, the ability to offload that to the cloud and have the, the processing power when you need it, where you need it, but only offloaded into the cloud, which will be incredibly powerful for not only rendering, but also capturing the data that's around you. A lot of people don't realize that 
as much data as you're pushing from the cloud down to the graphics processing and all of that, you're also capturing data from point cloud data using RGB cameras or all the phones will start to have infrared camera sensors now. So being able to capture that data, send it to cloud, make sense of it all within milliseconds, I, I think is really uh, <laughs> going to be a game changer for VR and AR. It's a massive amount of data too. If you look at all those different sensors on those devices, um, it's crazy. If you look at the future of volumetric video, which is very well informed on, um, Microsoft came out and said, hey, their studio does two terabytes a, a minute of data capture. Yeah, the meta stage. With a handful of cameras. And that's for tech, texture and depth and other sensors. But you're right. The thing that's going to, to close the gap between really powerful technology in your hands is an extremely low latent, high bandwidth network connected to compute, very high power, scalable compute in the network. And uh, it's not just AR, VR, right? It's a lot of things. Although I'm focused on AR, VR, um, we are now going to be putting supercomputers in everybody's hands. So what 5G XR use cases? Because you're, you're focused on XR. If, you take it, if we take 5G to the nth degree and, and 5G and edge computing, you've got autonomous vehicles, you've got uh, drones, you've got all, there's all sorts of ways. But let, let's focus on 5G and XR for a second. What use cases do you guys, does Verizon, see as happening first? I mean, we're already seeing it in, in enterprise uh, where they're using heads-up displays to help field and service workers and machine workers, factory workers repair uh, things and see what I see and all of these types of things. But what do you guys, what's your kind of roadmap for the next 10 years, let's say? Yeah, it's an interesting question. So our organization fundamentally is working on the platform and services that will enable very thin, lightweight, augmented reality or mixed reality glass. So I think that's one big step, right, is to move away from the clunky form factor to something that's super sleek, right, and super powerful. Uh, so how can I have a pair of standard Ray-Bans uh, look and act like a HoloLens times 50? <laughs> oh my God, that's a huge quote. <laughs> that, think about that. Like, how do I make a pair of Ray-Bans look and act like a HoloLens times 50? Oh yeah. man. That's the platform that we're building, right? That's the vision. Now, on top of that, once you do that, the world's sort of your oyster in terms of what the use cases are. And enterprise is definitely the, the first entry point into that because uh, we will go through this evolutionary process with hardware for glasses that it's not just the compute and we're solving the compute problem, but you do have to solve the display problem. You do have to solve a couple other things. But ultimately, at the end of the day, reduce battery power on that device so you can reduce battery size, reduce battery power by reducing compute on that device. And then ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, through that step-by-step -step process, you're going to get something thin. But in the meantime, you know, you're going to get that adoption in the enterprise space. And so um, we look at, uh, from a use case standpoint, within our enterprise organization, things like worker safety and obviously things around efficiency uh, and improvements of, of workers within environments, specifically uh, in the industrial space right now, which seems to be where a lot of the um, opportunity sits, at least from companies that have been coming to us uh, interested in the space. There's only so much that you can do to force certain verticals within a market to adopt a technology. And a lot of them are a lot more forward thinking than others. So we start there. It's interesting that you say that because some of the the industries that you actually think would be the least technical, mining, for example, they haven't changed in 100 years. They were one of the first people to jump on this technology because they can use it so quickly and so easily. And manufacturing, old school 
businesses that you you wouldn't think would be technologically advanced are just making these leaps and bounds now. It's amazing to watch. It's amazing. It's it's an amazing cultural thing to watch. In my view, it's like you you'd think that these some of these industries are so advanced and there's so much money, but they have old school practices. And then you look at other ones who have been forced to innovate and change their culture and adopt in these nascent spaces. And you scratch your head and say, wow, that's really interesting. And so it kind of throws you off guard, but um, you know that's where you have to go. Uh, you have to uh, go where the people have a, a sense of urgency and demand around it. And then you, and then you make it happen on that front. Interesting. I guess what I'm trying to get at is what are the 5G XR use cases that Verizon thinks or you think will make the best use of the new networks, of the new 5G capabilities? We're looking at uh, a few with the underlying premise uh, that you're trying to merge the physical and digital worlds together. And so uh, retail was is a very big uh, area for us, both front office and back office or consumer focus and then back office. So if we're looking at the consumer front for a second, uh, we're looking at the the really interesting and I think most people can relate to use case here is where I go into a retail store and then I'm always on my phone looking at ratings, reviews, pricing information and other things with respect to those physical products that are on the shelf. And I spend a lot more time on my phone than I actually do sort of perusing and browsing the stuff on the shelf. And so really what we want to do is, is, is merge that physical and digital divide by having a pair of uh, mixed reality glasses that as you're walking down that store using a 5G powered headset, you're literally uh, taking in all the information within your field of view about a set of products and services. So now I'm standing in front of uh, a set of consumer electronics devices and I want to know which one's the best rated, which one has the best value all the stuff that's typically online. Now I can have all that stuff instantly overlaid on top of those products, whether it be makeup or electronics or even clothing, and then take that off the, uh, off the rack and, and, go and go and purchase it. So that's uh, um, one of the, the retail experiences. Other, there's a safety component to it, the one that you saw us demo. I have a family. I spend an inordinate amount of time at the grocery store looking at the backs of boxes that contain certain allergens for my family. Now I can tell uh, my glasses to filter for products that are gluten-free, contain eggs, are kosher, whatever might be the case. And then instantly everything with my field of view will light up based on those requirements. Do you think that will be driven by computer vision picking up the, the boxes? Or do you think they'll be driven by companies like the, uh, the grocery stores, like Whole Foods, for example, submitting planograms so it knows what store you're in, the planogram knows where the boxes are? Will it be a combination of both? I think it'll be a combination of both because you've seen it in the QR space in stores do it themselves. You've seen third parties do it themselves. Um, most of that information is actually publicly available, those databases. Uh, and so third parties can actually easily construct um, that software. But um, I think it'll be, it'll be dependent on obviously the training of the learning of that object. A lot of those imagery is publicly available and then blend it with the, uh, the publicly available information for those products. I know Google and, and Amazon and pretty much everybody's working on computer vision for products. I want to point my phone at a pair of shoes and say, what are those shoes? And right now we've got a device in our hands that is pretty powerful and can do a lot of the things right now. What are some of the things that we can do right now with our phones that you're seeing uh, are emerging as killer use cases in this technology? 
That's a great question. Like I said, I think that going back to sort of the chokehold that current existing networks place on, on augmented reality, uh, there's a couple areas where I see a big amount of potential for a mobile device. And I think a lot of that fits around potentially uh, markets where you have you know, growing economies. You look at APAC and other, other areas around the world where they don't have access to uh, certain types of or used to uh, medical. So one of the things that I saw that was really interesting is how you could use the mobile phone and computer vision to help diagnose patients by using computer vision and artificial intelligence to look for signs that you wouldn't necessarily be trained or have access to. Uh, one of the interesting use cases I saw was a uh, to help support a potential phlebotomist out in the field where they're using their phone to detect veins uh, so they don't miss puncture uh, a vein in the arm, uh, they could do it right the first time. They completely limit the opportunity for infection. Um, I think that's the AccuVein system, isn't it? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really great. I think that's transformative on a world basis, is that the anytime you can use technology to uh, and, and intelligence to give access to the you know, underserved or underprivileged or markets that just don't have the ability to formative. So we look at we look at that space too. Uh, we look at we talked about accessibility. I think a little bit. Uh, we look very much into that space also as a way to, uh, to just improve general. And I think we fair, share a very similar feeling. Uh, it's about improving quality of life. It's not about introducing one more thing, one more piece of noise into the environment. How can we help each other sort through daily life, whether it be from a medical standpoint or being inundated with information? How do we make those things simple? Absolutely. And as more and more people move into urbanized areas, there's that culture shift from living in the country to living in a city. And we offline, we were talking about taking our kids camping and stuff. My 11-year-old daughter made this huge billboard poster and put it by the fire. It said, no cell phones by the campfire. And I think we're really getting to the point where the technology is pervasive. It's everywhere we are. My kids sit on the couch and watch TV with their phone in their hand. And sometimes they've got an iPad and a phone. It's nuts. I don't even know how they focus. And the other day, my daughter was watching a show and she had the show in a small window and she had a game that was related to the show in the big window. So she had like picture in picture, but the show wasn't the dominant part of it. And I thought that was really interesting how youth are starting to use these technologies. And we've done a lot of work on delivering people entertainment content. Netflix is using AI algorithms to give people better movies to watch. Amazon's giving you better algorithms to help you purchase better. What I think we, we need to do is harness those technologies and give kids better ways to learn. And I, I think these technologies can really catapult that. Uh, what, are your, what are your thoughts around kind of VR, AR, AI, and education and training? Yeah, we, we, we touched on this a little bit. And I think the impact is, is absolutely in that space, specifically with uh, convergence of people either domestically or internationally. From an education standpoint, you know, I think one of the things that you might have saw our team produce is uh, a virtual reality platform called Operation Convergent Response. And the idea behind that was to uh, aggregate or, or bring together a number of uh, people with different backgrounds and skill sets into a single virtual environment or war room, essentially, so that they can uh, help uh, support a natural disaster. So if there was an earthquake, you bring an earthquake expert, uh, someone who's an expert in fire, someone who's an expert in 
in uh, weather, whatever might be the case, to help quickly triage sort of a situation without bringing them into a physical location. That's immense also. Um, you can have highly custom education environments where you're bringing in specialists in different areas that of all under sort of one umbrella. So let's take VR, AR, someone interested in VR, AR, you can bring in an expert in virtual reality, expert in augmented reality, expert in computer vision, and then you can coalesce and bring all together these students who have very specific interests in that space, into that area, into that arena. And with virtual reality, you can create a 100,000 square foot space, you can create a 1,000 square foot space, right? You put 75 TVs on the wall, you put one TV on the wall. Yeah, um, you can crazy. literally create the most dynamic environment that works uh, for those students. And touching on artificial intelligence for a second. One of the most amazing things I think that comes out of virtual reality training and also in the medical space and in other areas is the ability for analytics platforms to look at every single piece of interaction that's going on in that space. And what does that yield at the end of the day? It yields a very efficient and effective way to help you understand uh, where you're improving, where you're falling behind. And it's, it's amazing because in essence, in a typical education environment, you've got to rely on a teacher or a proctor, whoever might be the case, to provide that feedback. And you can't do that for 30 students in a classroom. Uh, but if you've got an analytics platform that's looking at each one of those individual students on a case-by-case -case basis, you can then custom produce areas and a report where they should be improving and, and moving forward. And the amount of, uh, of, of advancement we make as a society just because of that little improvement, I think is absolutely massive. You nailed it. By changing the way we teach uh, and using exponential technologies, uh, it's not even a 10x improvement. It's a 100x improvement, a 1,000x improvement, because we're not even scratching the surface of things like how people learn or when they learn. I learn better maybe from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. That's my maximum capacity. So all the hard stuff, maybe I learn then, and maybe somebody else learns in the evening, maybe using uh, galvanic response or measuring your heart rate uh, or your biometrics, you can then deliver content that is highly personalized, highly contextualized, and delivers it at the time of maximum uh, absorption or, or retention. And we're already seeing across the board uh, 20 to 100% improvements in retention rates uh, in training. One of the things that you guys uh, did was used VR for hostage and robbery training. How did that come about? It was an interesting one. It was actually during our early commercial stages, we were looking at different verticals and areas where we can use technology to obviously improve awareness and other things that happen in, in our retail environments. It wasn't specifically around hostage, more like, uh, more like store robberies, which don't happen often, but obviously when they do, um, you know, how do you train someone in a non, in, 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 in sort of a traditional environment to address uh, a burglary situation, especially with someone being held at gunpoint. So um, we use 360 video, uh, we use actors, and we pull together a very immersive experience around both a, an armed robbery and also identifying customer theft by immersing them in a 360 world. Uh, we did monitor different bio signs. Uh, we also used an analytics platform that allows to do gaze tracking and other things. So. We saw exactly where they were looking, what they were interested in. Uh, were they looking in the right spots? Were they looking in the wrong spots? And we're able to produce a relatively detailed report based on that. And what that allowed us to do is it allowed us to understand sort of 
uh, as much as you could in a, in, a, in a replicated environment. What is the normal response for a retail rep when these situations occur? And then it allowed us to cater a trading program around that, that helped better prepare them for a situation. So we use it as a way to gather analytics, which then yielded a ton of information for us that we could never capture in a, even if you did this in a real life scenario and you brought into Macers and you brought in rep and you threw them in, you want to be able to understand where they were looking, how they were acting, what, how they were responding without this type of analytics in this virtual environment. So because of that, we felt like we were able to compose a training module that was much more advanced than what was in the market today. How do you measure the success of that? What are the KPIs that you guys were looking for? That's a great question. And unfortunately, we provided a lot of the, the technical support and background for that while our, our learning development team managed the KPIs. But I think some of the the, the KPIs that we used was sort of this post-mortem experience where we then placed them back into, into that experience with their training to see where there are improvements. And specifically, we used the gaze data, the biometric data, to then see how they responded to that situation. And I don't know what the specific performance improvements were, but I know they were relatively more significant than sort of what's baseline for typical training. So unfortunately, I don't have that data, but the process, the methodology was to re-immerse them back into that situation with the tools that they now have, again, because it's case by case, and see where they were looking, how they were acting, how they were responding, uh, so on and so forth. I, I want to shift away from training because there's, there's so much to unpack here. In the long term of this technology, 5G is really going to enable a lot. And one of the things that we have to overcome is some of the challenges. What are some of the challenges that you see or Verizon as a company sees as standing in the way of the broad adoption of 5G-powered XR beyond cheaper headsets and 5G coverage? But like, what do you see as the broader challenges around adoption? I think adoption is dependent on establishing a community that understands the technology in order to build on that. And that is the other half of our 5G lab. So I own the development side. We also have a 5G lab, multiple 5G labs spread across the country, which provide developers uh, and enterprises access to this technology so they can understand it. So education is hugely critical. We are very immersed in the technical side of things. You saw we've won those Edge Awards, very technical. And the work we do, um, while deeply technical, has to be translated to a common level. And I think our biggest hurdle and challenge is making that consumable to the end user. And we, we, we are solving that through our, our 5G labs. We are providing uh, developers with training and access to 5G networks. We're providing enterprises with a full view into the capabilities. So as much as we're having this conversation here, uh, any PTO or CIO or even CEO listening, visit our 5G labs and you'll get a full view of what we're doing and how it can apply to your business. So many companies across so many verticals uh, that it really helps them uh, understand and inspire what they what they could do with, with the technology. It's interesting that you guys created these 5G labs with the purpose of showing what the technology can do. You know, one of the reasons we actually started XR Ignite was the same thing. We kept seeing all these amazing startups coming up with crazy, amazing ideas on how to use XR and, and AI, but they they were missing the business acumen to be able to take those technologies and bring them to a commercialized state. We formed XR Ignite to kind of help 
bridge that gap between corporations and startups. And it sounds like you guys are doing the same. It sounds like there's a, an interesting uh, fit there. We'll talk offline and see if we can collaborate. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think there's, there's great opportunity for anyone looking and interested in. So what, are, what is the most important thing that businesses can start to do now to leverage the power of XR and end AI and 5G? What can they start doing immediately to reap the benefits? Yeah, I think um, any company should, uh, just like we do here, is to assign someone from the strategy side of the business to either bring someone in or to do their own objective and to some extent subjective view of collection of information. Uh, there's so much data out there. There's so much information out there. You know, the stuff that I'm talking about is very topical in the sense that this is stuff that you and I have access to. And since we're very immersed in the space, obviously we know relatively well, but anyone in any space could find the same amount of information. I work at a very deep technical level, which obviously makes not much sense to businesses until we, we translate that into a business function at the end of the day. But one or two people in an organization can, can compile some really compelling amount of data and information that exists out there to really help transform uh, businesses with this technology. So I think it's just that first step that they need to take to say, AR, VR, what is this about, right? Um, what does this mean to my business? And I think they'll be surprised. We actually started Metaverse as a consulting firm to help businesses understand how to use this technology. And because our long-term vision was always education. And so we've kind of morphed into consulting on how to use this technology specifically for education, training, uh, learning modules and stuff like that. But with XR Ignite, it's pretty broad. There's so many companies out there building such great tech and everybody's chomping at the bit to, to start leveraging 5G. And I had a meeting a couple of weeks ago and I got to see the new Samsung S10 5G phone. And it was the first time I'd ever held a 5G phone in my hand. And it was it's kind of, it kind of felt like this new renaissance of, of technology is coming and it's going to come as a tidal wave because it's been years that people have been working on it. I don't you know, Verizon's probably been working on this for a decade. So it's coming and it's going to come really fast for people. What can consumers do to prepare for that? Because I think having a 5G phone is great. It's faster, whatever. But really, what can consumers expect from that? If you look at where we were with 4G and sort of the scale and ubiquity of 4G, you were in that same phase and not just in the scale, but also in sort of the advancement of technology. I think one of the things, so just sort of prefacing this, one of the things that was interesting is that the iPhone didn't release a 4G iPhone until about a year and a half later. And I think once the network launched, I think part of that is because there are ramp ups to this technology as it gets exposed and becomes more accessible to developers, they can start building uh, experiences on top of that that really validate the value proposition of 5G. Uh, as it stands right now, the biggest value proposition of, of 5G is just the ability to uh, download an immense amount of content in, in a quick amount of time, right? So if I want to download entire season of Sopranos through HBO Go or whatever might be the case before I'm about to hop on a plane or I'm going to make a split second decision, you know, I don't have to wait 10, 15, 20 minutes to do that. I can literally do that within 30 seconds or less. That's insane. It really makes on-demand, on-demand, right? It used to, have to be that you had to plan yeah. some stuff. Or one of the great things, I have got a music service. And uh, unfortunately, uh, where I am down at the, down at the shore, on the, on the beach, I don't have access to, because um, I'm pretty remote, to, to that network. And so I want to be able to download an entire alternative 90s collection of music of 10,000 songs. Minute? <laughs> Less than that? Okay, I, I got to just... 
what the hell, man? I used to be a DJ for 20 years and I remember going to the record store and you buy a record. You, then I had a collection of books of CDs. And I remember when my daughter was about 10 and I gave her my CD collection. I'm like, here's, and she looked at me, she's like, what do I need that for? You know, it all fits in my iPod. And now we're talking about downloading an entire genre of music in seconds. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's quite crazy. Again, that's just scratching the surface of 5G. Beyond that, there are a lot of other things that we foresee with the, the implementation of the, of the edge network that we talked about and providing access to developers. One of the things that I, that I did want to you know, touch on in sort of our last piece a minute ago was that developers, the XR space is still nascent enough that if you're a business, there may or likely isn't a solution for your business today. And so I'd encourage businesses to go out there understand the technology and build their own solutions because half of our practice uh, going back to our commercial period was a pro services organization. And we were just all ears. We would listen to what companies would come up to us with challenges. And then we would solve those problems for those businesses. And, you know, the, one of the benefits of being Verizon, a massive company that we are, is that we've got so much diversity. We got retail, we have network operations, we've got sales, right? We can hear these challenges from all these organizations and build solutions uh, that that no developer would ever really think of to, to build. So I'd encourage businesses to go out there and not just look for answers to their problems, but work with folks that can solve those problems. That was our entire business model was to create some solutions, sit and listen to customers, figure out what they wanted and build it for them and then develop those into products. <laughs> Literally, that was our, our entire business model was just listen and that would create products, which it has. This is an SAP, right? I know I need some sort of platform. I go to SAP and they're like, here, I got this out of box software and just customize it. And then that's the answer for my business. That's not the state of XR. And if you can jump no, on that as a business, I think you'll have a major upper hand like we do here. So I'll give you one example. We uh, have a team that's responsible for going out and working with community to um, have them understand where we're going to be putting 5G cell sites. And one of the things they do is they hire a, a graphic artist, a number of graphic artists, to go out and draw what a cell site would look like in a community. And they would do it in Photoshop and other tools right there. Like that. And then they would bring it to the community board meetings, San Francisco, whatever might be the case, and say, hey, these are the sites that we want to produce. Right. And this is what the tower is going to look like on this building or on this light pole, whatever might be the case. And it costs them on average um, just in this one section of the U.S., five million dollars a year contract for these graphic artists. So what we did and what they asked us to do is that how do we solve this problem with augmented reality? Can we just take the poles that they would draw, import them as 3D models and then just drop them into the environment, capture that photo with our camera? and submit that to the to the town planning meeting said absolutely the the verizon rep goes out there they go to a corner they pick the pole that they want they change the color of the pole to match the environment right and then they set it right on the, the plane of the ground and and then they capture a picture and they upload that picture to the board for the board planning meeting and literally that application probably took a month to develop and saved in saving our business five million dollars a year just in this one area that was not something that we'd ever imagined building, uh, but we took that cost out of the business. Amazing. Some of the cost savings that I've heard on, on different interviews on this podcast have been insane. It's an insane amount of money for a relatively simple implementation of, of this technology. Yeah. So with that, 
Last question. What problem in the world do you want to see solved using XR technologies? I want to see people's lives become simpler. Everything that we build from a technology standpoint, while very complex in nature, I think the fundamental idea is to make people's lives simpler and to make people's lives safer. I think we've come to a point that technology just burdens us so much that you see companies out there that are now creating artificial digital clones of ourselves to manage the information overload that we have coming in. So we provide them with a set of rules and responsibilities that they could take on our behalf. And I don't think that's necessary if you do it in a way that filters out the noise and makes everything. And I think what that is, is that that's blending the digital and physical divide. Like I don't want to be constantly distracted by my cell phone when I'm camping, right? Because there's something interesting that I just saw maybe out in the wild. Was that a deer? Was that you know, whatever might be the case? With glasses, um, I think that information is just so passive um, to you that um, we no longer have to be distracted by our devices. We can, we can tune in and tune out things as needed. And uh, you know, my view, again, at the end of the day is we strive for simplicity in our lives. And I think that's where we ultimately want to go with this technology. Oh, I love that. Striving for simplicity with our lives using the most advanced technologies <laughs> in the world. Well, I, I don't know how, what better way to wrap that up, but thank you so much. And thank you everyone for listening. If you want to learn more about the work that TJ and his team are doing at Verizon, you can visit verizon.com, environment.com, or verizon5glabs.com. I think those are the, the three places where everybody can get as much information as they want. Thank you again, TJ. This has been amazing. Awesome, Alan. I uh, look forward to talking to you soon. Being an influencer on LinkedIn in the XR field uh, really has opened up an opportunity for us to not only understand what corporations are looking for in virtual augmented mixed reality and artificial intelligence, but also from the aspect of the startups, studios, developers, and enthusiasts out there and what they need. So what we decided to do after getting hundreds and hundreds of messages is to open up XR Ignite to the entire XR community of startups, studios, individuals, passionate people, and really to build a new community that brings together everybody who's passionate about this technology for a low cost and allow them to contribute, to learn, and to get better across the whole industry. That is really the reason why we started XR Ignite, to hyper-accelerate the XR for business industry, business and education. And one of the things that we just keep noticing is that there's so many resources out there. There's the VRAR Association, which we're partners with. There are you know reports coming out daily but there's no one source where people can come together and start just having conversations around how to get better in this industry. And that's why we started XR Ignite. I would encourage anybody who's listening to this podcast, if you're in the corporate side, if you're a startup, if you're an individual, if you're an enthusiast, sign up today at xrignite.com and you'll be getting access to new reports, investor lists, media lists, exclusive content, interviews with our mentors we have over 56 mentors and if you're a startup and you pay an annual fee you'll actually have the opportunity to book a one-on-one -on -one, one hour call with one of the mentors what we're doing with that is we're actually recording those sessions we're transcribing them taking out any personal information 
and we're making those transcripts available to all members. So I think XR Ignite is going to drive a lot of value for anybody in this industry who's looking to up their game and also for corporates who want a real insight as to what technology is coming out. So I would encourage everybody to sign up at XRIgnite.com and I really look forward to driving value, executing on our mission to hyper accelerate XR for business and education.